Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The last time that I was with our speaker tonight, Joel Rosenberg, we were at the Knesset in Jerusalem. And we had an interesting meeting, and we were just kind of comparing uh, notes on a taxi ride over to the Knesset. And um, uh, a couple months ago, Joel was here speaking on the last days, and how do we know if it is the last days? And if you remember, those who were here on that Sunday night, it was the special Sunday night, it was right at the end of our Matthew 24 series that we called Rumblings of War and the Prince of Peace. So it was just a perfect and fitting end to that series. Even though that series is done, as far as we're concerned, in studying it, the events that we spoke about are far from being over. In fact, they're just getting underway in some cases. And also our responsibility to those events is something also that Joel's going to speak about tonight. Joel Rosenberg was uh, the former senior advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, He has an interesting privilege of being a five-time New York Times best-selling author. Five of his books, the last one being Epicenter. And uh, Joel and I were both in Israel. We're working on a video project together. If he has the time, he may share a little bit about it. But please welcome our friend now, Joel Rosenberg. What an honor. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's great to be back in Albuquerque a second time in ever, so in just a couple months. And to be with you all is, uh, is a tremendous privilege. I, you know, and and to, to develop this friendship with Skip and his team has been a joy uh, for me and my wife. Uh, Skip and I have a lot in common. We are both uh, great lovers of Jesus Christ. We both spent time uh, in Israel as students, him a little bit further back than myself. Uh, <laughs> just, a, just a wee bit, but uh, we both uh, are tall, uh, and, uh, and we both have a love for the people of the epicenter, the Middle East, people who are getting caught in the crossfire of wars and terrorist activities, uh, most of which is not of their own making, uh, but it's being uh, foisted upon them, and they really have no place to go. Uh, you, uh, of course, recall... Uh, The war last summer, uh, as Hezbollah and Hamas launched against Israel from the north and from the south. And, uh, you know, Israel is a country of uh, 7 million people, 6 million Jews. A million of them were living underground during that time uh, because of all the 4,000 rockets and missiles that were landing on top of them. And, of course, millions of uh, uh, Palestinians, Israelis, Jordanians, uh, Lebanese, everyone, uh, Syrians, were all caught in that crossfire. And uh, unfortunately, that's just the beginning. And that is some of the things we were talking about uh, last time I was here. And I wanted to pick up on that topic. Uh, Last time we talked about, are we living in the last days? And tonight I want to talk about, how are we living in the last days? I want to talk about God's heart of compassion and his desire that we touch the people of the epicenter uh, with the love of Jesus Christ. So let's turn, uh, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25. We'll start in verse 31. 
Obviously, Matthew 24 is... As Skip reminded us, uh, it walks, Jesus walks through the issue of uh, the, the question that was raised by the disciples. Uh, when are you coming back? When is the end and, and what should we be looking for? And Jesus could have given a very Don Rumsfeld answer, no comment, next question. But he didn't. He took an entire chapter to walk us through wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and earthquakes and disease and, and the persecution of the believers, the spread of the gospel to every nation, every nation on the face of the planet, and of course the rebirth of Israel, the fig tree. Well, Matthew chapter 25, uh, he's talking about, okay, how are we going to be graded when we get there? As followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we have responsibilities for those of us who are living at this time, in this place, in human history. Uh, We are in the last days. I'm convinced of it. Skip's convinced of it. I have a feeling most of you are convinced of it. And the question is, how do we live? So let's start. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations, all the nations, will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put his sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger invite you in, and, and, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you in sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer, and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, You did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will say to themselves, uh, then they themselves will answer, uh, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he, he will answer them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, let's not confuse ourselves. This is not talking about a works-based salvation. Jesus offers us the free gift of eternal life and the abundant life, the invested life, here on earth, right now, through faith in Him, plus nothing. And at the end of the service, I want to give you an opportunity, if you have not made that decision, don't walk out of here in the last days without knowing for sure that you have a place in heaven that Jesus loves you and he's in your heart and will protect you forever and ever. But this is not what we're talking about. What he's saying is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
then, you, then we have responsibilities to care for those in need. This is not the social gospel either. He's not saying, oh, just care for people and provide food and clothing and shelter and all these things and never tell people that the only way to, uh, to heaven is through Jesus. No, but this is the gospel. This idea of caring for the poor and the needy, the suffering, is not a diversion from the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's central to that gospel. And this is this really what we see here. We get a glimpse right into the heart of compassion of our Lord, and it's a heart that uh, it comes through all throughout the Scriptures. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, for example, starting in verse 7, the Lord says uh, through Moses to the people. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in the land, which the Lord is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. He said, beware that there's no base thought in your heart, saying, uh, this is the seventh year, the year of remission is near, uh, your, your, your eye is hostile towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he might cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you. You shall, be, you shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because this is the thing that the Lord your God will bless you in your, all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, therefore, I command you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and to the poor in your land. You know, some people uh, look at the, when Jesus said, hey, the poor will always be with you, and they translate that, so, you know, let's move on with our lives. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is referring to, specifically to this passage where he's saying, because the poor will be with you, it's a command of the Lord. And he will bless you. He will bless you in all your undertakings as you respond to people's needs. Because Jesus doesn't just care about people's eternity. Obviously he does. That's why he went to the cross. But what did he do when he was here on earth? In addition to pointing people to salvation, he pointed people to food. He cared for people. He healed people. Let's take a look for a moment at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 6 rather. Verse 33, the people saw them going, and many recognized them, meaning Jesus and the disciples, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And what happened? He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, Hey, yo, uh, you know, this place is desolate. And uh, there's no McDonald's. By the way, uh, uh, Skip and I were making this film in Israel. And uh, uh, then he needed to get home to preach to you. I was quite impressed that he didn't just hang out at Armageddon with us. But he wanted to come home and preach to you. Uh, uh, But Chip and his team and I went to Armageddon to do some of this filming. And by the way, I just want you to know that there is a new McDonald's that has opened up uh, at Armageddon. So, I, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. Uh, so, when the end comes, there will be fries. And uh, now the burgers may be a little overdone at that point, but still, still, people, stay with me. 
All right, so I just want you to know. But at the time, they were in a decimal place. There was no McDonald's or McDavid's or anything else that was there. And so yeah, they were like, hey, shouldn't we, it's getting quite late, shouldn't we just send these people away? Because there's no food. So they can go to the surrounding countryside and get themselves the food they need. But he answered them, hey, why don't you give them something to eat? Actually, it wasn't a question. He said, you give them something to eat. It was a command. And they said to him, uh, hello, well, well, uh, uh, poor fisherman. Okay, the tax collector might be able to cover it. But remember, he left all. Uh, so how are we supposed to pay for this? Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? As though spending resources on people in need is somehow opposite from what Jesus wanted them to do. That being said, they didn't have 200 denarii. Uh, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to sit down by groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed the food. And he broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish up among them all. And they ate and they were satisfied. And they picked up twelve basketfuls of the broken pieces left over. They were frugal. They uh, didn't just waste everything. Uh, they were good stewards. And the fish too. And there were 5,000 men alone who ate. We see a similar story like this in uh, Mark chapter 8. In those days there was, again, a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. This is verse 1. Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I feel compassion for the people. Compassion. Why? Because they've remained with me for three days now and they have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. And some of them have come a great distance. And then he goes on to feed 4,000 more. This is central to the good news, is caring for people in need. And we see this all throughout the scriptures, from the beginning uh, to the end. And what's interesting is because Jesus was not just feeding, but but healing and, 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 and answering questions and, and responding to whatever need the people had, the news started to spread. This was a whole different kind of ministry going on than, the, than that region had ever seen before. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel. He wasn't not proclaiming the gospel. He was out there explaining to people the good news of salvation, of the kingdom. And he was healing all kinds of diseases, every kind of disease, it says, every kind of sickness among the people. And what happened? The news about him spread throughout all Syria. And in verse 25, it says, Large crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You see what's happening here? Jesus is doing ministry in Israel. And the news is spreading to Syria, to the Decapolis, which is in northern Jordan. Uh, and it says beyond the Jordan, so that's even southern Jordan as well, and Judea, which we now call the West Bank. The news was spreading. As, people, as Jesus was blessing people, the news was starting to spread. People wanted to know this radical message combined with this heart of compassion. And people began to follow Jesus. Jesus is not just... Jesus, oh, he was a Jew, and he even said to people uh, in Matthew 15, where was he? He was in southern Lebanon, where this conflict just happened. And a woman came up to him and, and begged him for mercy. And he said, hey, I, I'm here to care for the lost sheep of Israel. 
And she begged him for mercy. And he responded. Because that's who Jesus is. He's got a heart of compassion. And he's asking us, do we? Do we have a heart of compassion? You know, this gospel that Paul was not ashamed of was not just for the Jews. It was for all nations, all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever, Jew or Gentile, should believe in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And i got to tell you, uh, the question we all have to ask in the light of the fact that we're living in the last days is, is my heart God's heart? Is your heart God's heart? The combination of communicating the most important message of all time, freedom and salvation through Jesus, match with that heart of compassion to care for those in need, whether they be simply poor or uh, devastated by war and terrorism or perhaps they're immigrants from another country. And this is a very personal thing for me. For my wife, Lynn, and I, we have four boys. Uh, We have four boys, I should say, uh, Caleb, Jacob, Jonah, and Noah. And uh, obviously biblical names. Uh, Obviously you can see where our heart is focused on on Israel and her neighbors. We, of course, had three. Uh, They're they're 13, 10, 8, and and 2.5. A little gap there. But we realize, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that he's not coming again until the days of Noah. So, you know, we thought if we're holding him back, uh, you know, that wouldn't be good. So he had to have a Noah. So he's here. He's on the team. He's even been to Israel. And he's going again in April. So we're in the days of Noah. So just be ready, okay? But this was personal for us. Uh, We're a little slow. Not the sharpest knives in the drawer. It took us a while even to get the whole evangelism thing. Are we sharing our faith? That took a while. And then are we even making disciples? Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. What's a disciple? How do we do that? And we started to work on those two things. And then we came to the realization I did, well, actually Lynn did first, and then I, I was a little slower on this, but the, the question was, if we're going around the world talking about Matthew 24, maybe we're tilting a little heavy on the 24, we need to spend a little more time on 25. Are we, as a family, doing everything we can to touch people's lives who are suffering, particularly in the Middle East, where, you know, suffering abounds? And this is what set us into motion in realizing that when I get to heaven, when Lynn gets to heaven, when our boys get to heaven, we don't want to see Jesus face to face and have him say, Joel, I'm really glad the whole thing with the novels worked out. That's fabulous. That's fantastic. Now, what part of the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, and what part of the Great Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself, what part of that did you not understand, son? I mean, was it in Greek? All right, actually, it was. But, you know, you have translations. There's really no excuse. And that really, we were wrestling with that. Okay, I was preaching all over the nation, all over the world. And, and then the question was, how, how are we fulfilling that heart of compassion? How are we responding to that? What is Jesus going to say to us? And so we started an organization called the Joshua Fund. Uh, Joshua, of course, uh, uh, who, who took the people into the land, uh, lived in Jordan, came from Egypt, went to Israel through the West Bank. That seemed like a Middle Eastern strategy to me. So I thought, okay, let's call it the Joshua Fund. It's also, by the way, the name of John Bennett's investment company in the last jihad. So we thought, we'll just rip that right out of my first novel and just make an organization based around it. 
And what we thought we should do was we pulled together some advisors, put together a board, and last summer we got all our paperwork filed and we said this is the mission, to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus according to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Those who bless Israel, I will bless. And those who curse Israel, I will curse. We thought this has to be our mission. Yes, as a Jewish believer in Jesus... My family escaped out of Russia in 1907 when the Tsar was trying to kill everybody. It's amazing that my family survived. It's amazing they didn't settle in Germany uh, saying, Woo, we got out of Russia. (laughs) Many people did that. Many families didn't survive because they'd gotten out of the frying pan and got literally into the fire. But God moved our family, took us to the United States, and we came to know Jesus Christ. So as a Jewish believer, obviously I want to bless Israel. I want to care for my Jewish brothers and sisters just like Deuteronomy tells me, just like Jesus tells me. Okay, great. But what about the neighbor part? Love, the, love your neighbor. What about the enemy part? Love your enemies. So we thought, well, we got we, to bless Israel and her neighbors, we have to do this in the name of Jesus. It can't simply be just acts of compassion. It has to be clear to people why we're doing it. doesn't mean we won't give the aid uh, unconditionally. You know, Jesus, when he fed the 4,000, 5,000, I don't remember him gathering comment cards first and then saying, now, if you, if you, if you pray to receive me... Now you can get aid. No, 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 no. He, he, he cared for everybody that was uh, there that day and this, the other days. That, that's why people responded to him, because he was caring for them, not because he was demanding something of them. Now, once you become a follower of Jesus, then he's got a list of things we, he needs us to do, and this is among them. So, so that's where we got. It had to be in the name of Jesus, and we wanted to do it according to the Scriptures. So we set up this organization, and honestly... Um, I'd like to say that I am a, a man of great faith. Oh, let's go reach the whole Middle East for Jesus. Bless people. Yeah, my whole humanitarian aid component was $25,000 for 2007. And my board just looked at me and said, what are, you know, are you on crack? I mean, what, you, can't, you can't set up an organization like this that we were going to be doing other things, satellite broadcasting into Iran and the Arab world and getting Bibles into Iraq and a whole kinds of a whole other thing. But the humanitarian portion actually was quite small at the beginning, even though it was in the, the basic documents of, of, our, of our mission. But they said, this, we got to do a whole lot more than that. I said, well, I haven't raised a dime in my life. You know, uh, I may be Jewish, but I'm not, I, I'm the one that didn't get the whole financial gene. I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> As a kid, I once invested in Wang computers. It completely, you know, the whole thing went out of business. Uh, I used to get uh, um, uh, dividend checks every quarter for nine cents. I thought, you know, this is why the company's going out of business, because they're sending me a check for nine cents. It costs more to put the postage on it. But anyway, I, I, I digress. So anyway, the, the point was this. Okay, we got we to gotta go raise this money. I, I don't know how to raise money. But th- th- my board reminded me, this is why you have a board. People who are wiser and smarter than you. And, uh, and so they said, look, we need to set the goals, and then the Lord will, will, will raise up the people who want to get involved. You, you know, Joel, you, you go out there and tell people what the vision is. Let's have specific projects. Let's develop a Chinese menu of, think, of projects people can get involved in. Let's explain to people exactly uh, how we can bless people in Israel and the West Bank and Gaza and Lebanon and Jordan and Syria and Iraq and Iran in the name of Jesus. And then we'll just... See what happens. That's up to the Lord. All right. Well, it seemed good to me, uh, you know, in the absence of... Oh, oh, so you're saying faith. I see. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was, you know, it was taking me a little while, but I was saying, oh, do it by faith. 
And so that's what we did. And then, literally, we had just gotten our paperwork filed with the IRS, and we were ready to go, and the Lebanon War broke out. And suddenly, for six weeks straight, every day, we were watching millions of people get caught in the crossfire. And on top of that, we knew that Iran was building those nuclear weapons and planning to wipe Israel off the face of the map. We knew that in Israel alone, one in five people live under the poverty level. 1.3 million Israelis live on $800 a month or less. It's a huge gap. Yes, there's enormously wealthy people. It's one of the fastest growing economies on the planet, but there's this huge gap. And, you know, the poverty line at $800 a month for a family of four, that means a whole lot of people living just above it, but not qualifying for any government aid. There's a lot of need there. And then I don't think I need to paint the picture of the need in Lebanon and West Bank and Gaza. This is severe need. Plus, the Bible is clear. All Jews are heading to Israel one day. He is in the process of regathering. And that, those Bible prophecies are coming true as we speak. There are 6 million Jews in Israel. There are just under 6 million more to go. That's a heap lot of people. That's, that's a honk, honking lot of people who have to get to Israel, doubling the size of the country. How do you, we have 300 million people. Do you, can you imagine trying to double the size of the country? How do we care for those? How do we stockpile resources as well as care for current urgent needs. So we began to do some pilot projects. We said one of the, min, the, the, the principles of the Joshua Fund has to be that we're not going to build our own ministry. We're not trying to go reinvent the wheel. We need to go and find out who are the people that are doing the best, most effective work, and partner with them, support them, strengthen them. That's what we felt God was taking us. So uh, we've been doing that, obviously, for a number of years. I've been getting to know a number of, of uh, Israeli and, and, um, and Arab ministries. And now we started asking them specific questions. How could we help? And one of the projects that came up was a town called Kiryat Shmona on the northern border of Israel and Lebanon. Uh, it's just inside the Israeli border, but it's right there. I mean, it's right there. And it was the town that was hit the most with rockets and missiles uh, during this last war. Of the 4,000 rockets and missiles that hit Israel, one in four, a thousand, hit this town, a town of 22,000 people, 11,000 of whom fled the town, and the other half lived underground for six or seven weeks. And a friend of ours over there said, you know what, why don't we try to go do some project there, because that's where the need is the greatest. And if you want to show Christian love, that's a town that is crying for love and compassion. So we said, great. So he said, well, for the project we're thinking of, uh, it would take about $75,000, and, we'll, and then we'll, uh, we'll find people who are on the welfare rolls, who are already poor and needy, and then whose homes have been damaged. And, so, and we'll, we'll set it up, but you need to raise $75,000. Now, that was a stretch uh, for Lynn and myself on our board, but we said, all right, that's the project. Let's go do this whole thing, you know, that whole faith thing that they were trying to convince me of. So I said, all right, let's do it. And what happened was, not only did the Lord provide in about five weeks, but then other organizations, other ministries said, well, that's exciting. If, if Kiryat Shmona needs that aid, why don't we help too? And that $75,000 project turned into a $300,000 project. This, uh, th those loaves and fishes were starting to multiply. And we thought, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, if you bless Israel, what does God say? 
I will bless you. Oh, yeah. All right. Like I said, it took me a while to see this thing in action. Because, okay, in the Bible it works. But what about our lives? Do we really believe it will work? And we started to see it happen. And it was exciting. We went up there. Um, they had put on this kind of uh, Hanukkah market. It was just a couple weeks uh, before Hanukkah. And so they just invited, uh, actually, um, uh, almost 15% of the town came to this event. And uh, the mayor came, and the former defense minister of Israel came, and some rabbis came. And it was exciting clothing, food, uh, furniture, toys for the kids for Hanukkah, just things that people were not going to be able to have unless people, uh, believers from around the world, helped them. So long story short, it, it was an amazing time to interact with people. Uh, uh, we visited through a home of a woman whose house had been half demolished by a Katusha rocket, and she just wept in my arms. And I asked her if I could pray with her in the name of Yeshua, and she said yes. She's not a believer, but we wanted to show her Jesus' love and compassion. And so not only did she have some aid, uh, but she had some comfort. But look, that's not enough. That's just the beginning. So when we... Oh, by the way, I should say that the mayor then asked me to come and speak to a town forum that night. And that was really an honor. Uh, it was about 350 Israelis or some soldiers, uh, students, uh, uh, a number of dignitaries and some families. And he said, would you get up and just share for a few minutes what you, who you are, what you're doing here, and why you're doing this? So I began to share a little bit. And as I was uh, speaking by translation into Hebrew, I, I thought, you know, Nobody's going to remember who I am. It's not, there's no point in that. And I said to them, you know what? You're not going to remember who I am or what the Joshua Fund is. or uh, You know what we've been doing today. And, I just want, and you know that we're followers of Jesus. And I just want you to know that the followers of Sheikh Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, hate you and want to destroy you. But the followers of Jesus love you and want to stand with you. And that place just erupted in applause. Uh, it was just an amazing thing. And people came up afterwards and hugged me and, 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 and our team. And, and it was just an extraordinary moment. And the mayor said, please, come back. Don't let this be the last time that you come. And so we have already been back once. Uh, we've got a team actually from Calvary Rio Rancho are going, Lord willing, in May. And, and we said, all right. So I, so I got back and I started thinking, all right, how can we help this town and other towns like them more in the future? So I sent out an email and just explained a little bit of what we're doing to, to a list of people that have been praying for us. And I got a call from the head of an uh, international Christian humanitarian relief organization. And uh, he, he loved the, the verses that we were basing this stuff on, and he loved to hear what was happening. He loved to hear what was happening in Kiryat Shmona. And he said, now how much relief were you able to deliver for $75,000? And I said, well, you know, $75,000 worth. <laughs> uh, he said, no, no, but I mean, how much did that get? And I said, well, I mean, God blessed it and, and expanded it, and, he, and it turned into $300,000 worth of stuff, if, if that's what you mean. He said, no, 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 but I mean, but how much, in terms of the cash you raised, how much aid were you able to deliver? And I said, brother, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, uh, I, I, you know, there's exchange rates. We bought the stuff in Israel. I mean, you know, help me here. He said, no, no, no. We have an organization. Let, let he said, let me help you guys. We have an organization in Europe in Asia, in the United States and Canada. We can, what we do is we have networks of churches and Christian businessmen and women who we send out an email and we say, hey, we need blankets, we need furniture, we need food, we need clothing, we need toys, whatever it is, computers. And they call, they email back and they say, we've got 200 blankets. You can come pick them up. We've got 50 coats. You know, whatever it is. 
He said, so what we call this is gifts in kind. And we send out the word of what we need, and people say, we've got it. And we send out our trucks, we pick it up, and bring it back to our warehouses. I said, okay, I'm tracking with you. So, so all these churches and Christian uh, business people have donated this stuff for free, right? He said, absolutely. The only price, the only cost of delivering a whole container, a 40-foot container of aid like that, a container that can include between $75,000 and $100,000 worth of aid, is $8,000. I said, okay, I wasn't the swiftest guy in math class, but let me just get this straight. You're saying if I raise $8,000, I can deliver $100,000 worth of goods. He said, that's right. So in other words, with the $75,000 we did raise, if we had raised $5,000 more, $80,000, we could have done 10 containers into Israel with a million dollars worth of relief. He said, that's what I'm telling you. I said, can you help me do this? Because we'll go raise, if it's $8,000 a time, if it's eight cents at a time, this is what this is what Jesus is talking about. Now, it's not the only way to do the aid, I'm just saying. But this, what a great return on your investment. Because by the way, Matthew 25 also talks about the parable of the talents. And I thought, hmm, this is a, there's a convergence here. And, you know, what my job is, is to go out and tell people, here's the need, here's the opportunity, here's how you can help, and other organizations are stepping up. Calvary is stepping up. I mean, Skip and Chip and their team, you know, after I was here last time, called me about a week later, two weeks, and said, hey, uh, we've got a Lebanese couple believers, they want to invest in doing a documentary film about the book Epicenter, the threats and the opportunities to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. Really? <laughs> said, Can we, why don't we take you over to Israel or go over when you're there next and we'll make a film and we'll explain to churches all over the world how to do this. I said, okay, let's go. And, uh, you know, and, then we had, and then we had this other organization come along and say, we'll start doing the shipping containers. And this stuff is starting to happen. The way Jesus said, if you bless Israel... Even in theory, even in concept, even in I will file my papers with the IRS and, and then try to figure out where to go from there, Jesus is moving. Why? Why? Because he's already doing this. I am Joel come lately to this process, right? I didn't come up with a vision of blessing Israel. This goes back to Genesis, right? But what he's saying is he's got a network of people all over the globe who are ready to respond to Matthew chapter 25 because of Matthew chapter 24. And what he's saying is go out and share with people a vision. And he will move in their hearts. And I'm just supposed to get out of the way. And your church is part of that. It's, in fact, it's one of the first churches that stepped up to the plate in a way that we didn't even, we didn't even ask for. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3? That the God we serve is able to do immeasurably more than we hope for, ask for, or imagine Calvary Albuquerque, Calvary Rio Rancho, these churches, this organization that needs to be uh, uh, unnamed because they do so much work in the Muslim world, they, you know, you guys are responding. And it's an extraordinary thing for, for Lynn and I and our team to watch. Now, these are just a few of the things that are happening. What we, di- what we decided to do next was, okay, uh, we put together a budget and we said, all right, let's start, uh, again, you know, let's pace ourselves. So we're going to, starting in March... We're going to do two containers a month into Israel. We hope to ramp that up to one a week as soon as possible. Uh, we're going to do one container a month, or I'm sorry, a quarter, 
into a ministry that, uh, of Palestinian believers to care for the needs of people in the West Bank and Gaza. We're working out and trying to figure out the, the logistics of doing this exact same thing in Lebanon, uh, in Iraq, in Sudan. And i got to tell you a story from Iraq. I, w- I just got back. Actually, since I was here with you uh, in the end of October, uh, uh, we've been in the Middle East four times. And the, my last trip, I was uh, with a pastor from Baghdad. And we were talking about this, and I said, you know, we really want to understand what are your needs in Iraq. We see the news. We don't hear uh, the needs, the specific needs that the church has. So this pastor told me that he and his family had just had to escape out of Baghdad because of some uh, terrorist threat specifically to them. And they had moved to Kurdistan uh, in the north. This is actually where most Iraqis are coming to Christ right now in record numbers. And he said, here's the situation. Uh, we got to here, up to, uh, to Kurdistan. We, you know, we rented an apartment. We, we had, you know, we'd gotten out of our house just in time before the terrorist attack, 45 minutes after we left. The neighbors told us that later. As we got into this town, I started praying, Lord, how do I, how do, I do ministry here? I, he was not from Kurdistan. So he said, uh, I, I prayed about it, and I said, I think I need to go to the mayor of the town and just ask him, how can I be a blessing? I've got trucks full of aid. I've got uh, uh, you know, the New Testament in Arabic, and I've got movies about Jesus, the Jesus film. So I'll go to the mayor, and I'll tell him what I've got, and see, are we allowed to, to bless people this way? So this, this, brother, this friend of mine is telling me that he goes to the mayor, and he explains the story to him, and the mayor doesn't answer. Instead, he pushes a button on his intercom, and he says to his secretary, get me the mullah. That's the Islamic cleric that uh, runs the mosque. And my friend is thinking, I want to see the mayor, not the mullah. You know, I, it's Iraq, people. Uh, that's what I just escaped from. So uh, he was feeling a little anxious there. Uh, and the mayor didn't really talk to him during the time while they were waiting. Just sitting there, drinking a cup of tea. And uh, suddenly the mullah arrives. Flowing robes, the beard. Walks in, the mayor says to him, this man is a Christian. He's a pastor. He has trucks filled with food and clothing and all kinds of other uh, uh, humanitarian relief supplies. And he has Bibles and he has movies about Jesus. I want you to go to the mosque. Uh, how, how soon can you be, be, uh, get all that stuff here, sir? And the pastor says, uh, within the hour. He said, great. Go tell all the people to be at the mosque in an hour because Christians have relief. And, and my friend is just, you know, agog. Not Gog from Ezekiel 38, but just Agog. And, he's, and, he, and, and, and literally five minutes later, they hear on the loudspeakers from the minaret, from the mosque, attention Kmart shoppers. <laughs> well, no, actually, yeah, no, it wasn't. But they said, you know, people of the town, there are Christians here, and they have trucks filled with aid and Bibles and movies about Jesus. Come to the mosque, and we will bless you. The Christians will bless you. And people, there was a mob scene, and there were no car bombers, and there were no IEDs, and nobody got beheaded, and the people went for the Jesus films and the Bibles first. I said, brother, amen. Amen. We serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can hope for, dream of, or imagine. This is the God that we serve. And I said, brother, I I will do anything I can. I will walk, I will crawl on glass to raise money for you. Just as we're doing for the Jews in Israel and the Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza and the Lebanese. My brother-in-law is Lebanese. This has been an interesting thing in our family. When we were in Israel doing ministry there, he was in Lebanon with his wife, my sister-in-law, doing ministry there. God is doing something in the Middle East. And in the name of Jesus, there is unity. 
There is unity. And this is a powerful message. When you love your neighbors and love your enemy in the name of Jesus, I believe, tell, I'm telling you, nobody else in that region is doing it. It's a strategy that we have all to ourselves. And when we do it, it turns people's heads. The question is, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? Uh, on the website, uh, joshuafund.net, uh, we describe all the principles and the details of this organization and the biblical principles upon which it's based. Later this week, as soon as I get back, we will upload our new uh, strategy and the specific projects that we're talking about. Uh, you know, we need to raise uh, $8,000 per container to do $100,000 worth of relief. So uh, 24 containers a year to a month is $192,000. As we scale up to at least four a month, uh, obviously that's another $192,000. Uh, we, need the, we need to expand warehouse space in Israel. Uh, so there's one particular project there. We'll be describing the cost and the specifics of that. We're trying to raise $100,000 for the project in Kurdistan uh, to get Bibles and aid and Jesus films uh, into Iraq. We've already sent 20,000 Bibles uh, into Iraq, and we're going to continue doing that. We're going to do so- satellite broadcasting in Arabic and Farsi, not because we're creating this stuff on our own. We find, we're finding projects with trusted evangelical organizations in Israel and in these other countries that are doing the work already. What they need is us in the West who are probably not going to go to Kurdistan and who might not want to go to Gaza and won't be in southern Lebanon, but they will be, and we need to partner with them. What's exciting is that more Muslims and more Jews are coming to faith in Jesus Christ today than at any other time in human history. When I was born in 1967, there were only five or six Israeli believers in Jesus. Five or six, right there. Today, there are 15,000 Israeli believers in Jesus. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, he said to the Jewish people, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Until a whole lot of Jewish people believe in Jesus and are excited about his return, he said, I ain't coming back. So there. Well, I added the so there. But... uh, But we're moving. The the, the trend lines are up. Is it 12 million Jews? No. But this is a way to bless people. And people who are blessed begin to ask questions. We're not doing this conditionally. We're doing it unconditionally. But if people ask us questions about why we're doing it, we're happy to explain it. And more Muslims. uh, In the book Epicenter, I don't have time tonight to share with you. In the previous, uh, uh, on the the CD of the program, uh, of the talk I gave last October, I, I started to walk through this. It's just extraordinary. In Iran alone, there were 500 Muslim believer, people who had become believers in Jesus Christ in 1979. 500. Today, there are over a million Iranians who believe in Jesus. It's just extraordinary. It, it's, 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 I don't want to say exploding. That's not the right term in the Middle East. But, you know, it's growing fast. In the book, I describe it more. But let me just tell you, our job is to care for these brothers and sisters to care for them in the name of Jesus. Our mandate is to love our neighbors and to love our enemies and to do so now while we still have time. We can't do it alone. This can't be, you know, the Joel Rosenberg show. God forbid. This has to be a global movement, a global movement of pastors and churches and business leaders uh, who are followers of Jesus Christ who want to touch the people of the epicenter with the love of Jesus Christ. 
And there are four principles. We're not going to go through them in detail tonight, but just to give you a flavor. We need to help people learn, pray, give, and go. What I'm doing, what we're doing through the Epicenter DVD, Calvary uh, Calvary is, is part of creating this Epicenter documentary to help people learn God's plan and purpose for the Middle East and to mobilize people to pray, to pray specifically, to know how to pray, what to pray, and then obviously to invest our resources uh, and to invest them wisely and to see it multiplied effectively and dramatically. And then some of us will go. Not all of you are going to go. I hope that some of you will and that some of you will decide when you take a trip to Israel that maybe you carve out a day to do a practical relief project. Joshua Fund can help you with that and we would love to do it. It would be an honor to serve you in that way. We are living in the most exciting moment in human history. We are living in the last days before Jesus himself comes to get us. And he says that all nations will be represented in heaven. And our question is, are we communicating the full gospel as clearly, as quickly, and as compassionately as we possibly can? How will the Rosenberg family respond? How will you respond? And lastly, you can't respond at all effectively if you have never entered a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In a moment, Pastor Skip is going to come up and, and, and pray for any of you who want to make that decision. But I want to be clear. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus said it himself. I mentioned it before. John 3.16 For God so loved the whole world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever, Jew, Arab, Iranian, Turk, Russian, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, in his death on the cross, his resurrection on the third day, the fact that he's the only way, whoever believes in him shall not perish, go to hell forever and ever and ever, but shall have eternal life, an abundant life here, filled with the Holy Spirit, with peace that passes understanding, a blessing as we follow him by his strength, his power, an extraordinary opportunity. And Jesus says, come. Come into the kingdom. Let me adopt you into my family if you will place your faith in him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman can come to the Father except through me, he said. I know there are those of you here tonight as great a church as this is, there are people who are here because you heard about this and perhaps you've never been to church before. Perhaps you've been here a long time and you've never made that decision. Perhaps you're watching on the web or listening on the radio around the country and, and you're thinking, you know what? I am not sure that if I were to get in an accident or have a heart attack or the end of the world were to come or the Iranians were to strike with nuclear missiles or whatever it is, I am not sure that I'm going to be with Jesus for eternity. And I want that assurance of salvation. And I know for sure that I have no peace and security right now. If that's who you are tonight, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to make that decision. The angels are going to rejoice tonight. The Bible says that angels rejoice when any one person becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And millions 
of them are becoming believers in Iran, Iraq, Sudan. Surely you don't want to be left back. This is the night. This is the moment. Don't think about how to invest your life, your future, your finances in blessing others until you've accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ tonight. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.